Hello everybody. Hope you all are having a wonderful day. Today we are on the subreddit r slash let's not meet. Enjoy. Reddit Readings, Episode 28 This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify. The global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. This episode is brought to you by Kia's first three-row all-electric SUV, the Kia EV9. With available all-wheel drive and seating for up to seven adults, with zero to 60 speed that thrills you one minute and available lounge seats that unwind you the next. Visit kia.com slash EV9 to learn more. Ask your Kia dealer for availability. No system, no matter how advanced, can compensate for all driver error and or driving conditions. Always drive safely. The girl who tried to drown me when I was a little kid. I'm not sure how old I was, but I was really small, maybe around six. I was with a bunch of people from my church, having a barbecue at a river. All of the kids were swimming in the water. I didn't know how to swim yet, so I was just staying waist deep in the shallow part. At some point, this girl came up to me and was playing with me, we were splashing each other and stuff. The weird thing was that she was probably 13 or so and I didn't know who she was, even though I knew everyone else there. Apparently no one was paying attention to us. She started pushing me out deeper and deeper, to where I couldn't touch. She just kept laughing the whole time. My head kept going underwater. I tried grabbing onto her arms when she would push me, but she easily knocked my grip loose. The slight current slowly pulled me away from my friends and family while I struggled to tread water. I was panicking, but she wouldn't stop pushing me and laughing. I could not possibly have looked like I was having fun. I would try to yell but was only ever above water long enough to take a breath. Every time my feet touched the mud for a split second she would just push me again. I couldn't believe she was laughing. I was sure I was going to drown. No one seemed to notice. Of all people to intervene, it would happen to be my childhood bully, Zachary. He had always been a jerk to me, mentally and physically abusive. But I still feel like that day he saved my life. He came up and told her to get away from me. He grabbed me by the arm and pulled me up to where I could stand again. Then he ran off and continued to play with the other kids his age as if nothing happened. The girl was already a ways away too. I went on playing, and as with so many other things, I don't think I told anyone until I was much older. Pretty sure I never saw that girl again. Someone I went to high school with lived a fake life on the internet using my identity, without me knowing for years. Hey all, I'm pretty new to Reddit, so forgive me if there's a more appropriate subreddit for this story. I've been listening to r slash compilations on YouTube while drawing lately. One just came up about stalkers and it pushed me over the edge to write out one of a few stories I've been thinking about sharing here for a while now. First off, this story happened almost 10 years ago. I'll jump right in because it's long. I got home from work one day and logged into Facebook to find a message from someone I didn't know. It was too long ago to remember verbatim what was said, but it was along the lines of. Hey lot lizard, I know you have no idea who I am but I've been trying to decide what to do for a few days and figured I had to let you know what's been going on. Someone has been catfishing me using your identity for over two years, and I just found out about it last week. 
The sender of the email was clearly pretty shaken up and understandably was experiencing a mix of emotions. According to her, she had met the imposter online a little over two years prior to her writing this, and that they had been engaged in a pretty intimate long-distance relationship for a majority of that time. The imposter had created a Facebook and had over time reposted almost all of my photos with their own captions to them. Including a good amount of art I'd drawn that they took credit for haha. They created fake profiles for a good amount of my close family and friends so they could comment on the photos of themselves to make the profile seem legit. The funniest part to me is that although most things in my real life seem to be mirrored in this fake profile, I, straight male, was instead portrayed as trans. I think the main reason for this was that the sender of the email and the imposter would actually speak on the phone, and imposter turned out to be female in the end and therefore needed a reason to justify her more feminine sounding voice. The sender of the email was justifiably both angry and creeped out and wanted to find the catfish. She started asking me a lot of questions about my life, but phrasing them like, is your sister's name this? And did you go to that high school? Some of them were clearly information that anyone could glean from a quick browse of my profile. But then she asked, is your best friend this person? Which struck me as odd since despite this person actually being my closest friend, and who I spend the most time with, we have barely any Facebook photos together and most are from a long time ago. Then she asked, were you adopted, and are your half-siblings names this and that? Which sealed the deal for me, since I knew for a fact I'd never posted about being adopted online. The sender of the email already had an idea that this person had known me in real life, but this confirmed it for me. The sender of the email had contacted me shortly after confronting the imposter for the first time. I guess after two years, they'd finally become suspicious of the fact that imposter wouldn't show their face. I have no idea how it took this long for them to figure that they were being played, but I'm glad they finally decided to give the ultimatum of, show your face, or I'm cutting you off. I'm pretty sure this is the point where the imposter admitted to being a catfish, and that she'd been using the identity of someone she had a crush on in high school before hanging up. I was given the URL so I could look through the profile myself, which was up for about two days after I saw it before it was all removed. It was definitely really bizarre. The imposter had posted more than I ever had on Facebook, and it genuinely seemed like they'd lived a pretty involved double life online as me. Almost everyone I'd posted photos with on my real profile would then have their own fake profiles created that had enough content to be genuinely convincing so they could be tagged in, and validate these new photos. Some of these profiles seemed to have gone and made their own real friends as well, and I wondered if any of those were used to facilitate even more online dating deception. Either way, the amount of time that this person had spent fabricating their alter ego's online presence was pretty shocking. The whole time I'd been crawling down this Facebook rabbit hole, the sender of the email was looking through my real profile. After a while she sent me a message saying, did you take these photographs? And showed me what I remember as a black and white photos of a barn or something. I hadn't. Which was weird since everything else on the fake profile originated with me and she'd noticed the discrepancy. We both tried reverse image searching with no luck. Then, either through a stroke of genius, or somewhat suspiciously. I really couldn't tell, she thought to flip the fake number imposter had written into the fake FB profile around in reverse, and a Google search came up with a landline that belonged the home address of a girl that I'd gone to high school with. Realme was Facebook friends with real imposter's profile so we both went snooping around and found the photo that she'd claimed I'd taken. Which pretty much confirmed to me that this was the imposter. I'm pretty sure there were more indicators to the sender as well but I can't remember. I thought about messaging her for a while, but decided that it probably wouldn't lead to anything good. At the time my thoughts were definitely, let's not meet. I talked a few times with the sender of the email just to try and decompress a bit, 
but honestly just wanted to distance myself from the situation and also had my suspicions about the sender as well. I figured maybe it was imposter's one last ditch effort to try and talk to me. Although when it was all over, the sender seemed to be eager to leave this all behind as well, so maybe not. Either way, it was a really strange experience. I felt mostly freaked out and violated, but I guess there was a small part of me that was flattered by it. I had a lot of mixed emotions. The weirdest part to me is the I'm a really approachable person and would have definitely been willing to talk and probably be friends, if this person had just approached me instead. Although I'm still not sure if this was done out of an obsession for me, or if this person felt like I was just a suitable image to base this fabricated persona off of. I remember talking to her probably twice throughout high school and really didn't have a very good idea of who she was other than a quiet hipster girl. If either person involved reads this, I'd definitely be happy to talk now. It's been years, but I've gone from being very put off, to always wondered why this person chose me over a myriad of other more attractive, or interesting people online to base their other life off of. According to the sender who contacted me, she'd probably spent more time online pretending to be me than she actually did going about her own life. I have a tumultuous history of addiction and have had plenty of my own escapes, which is why it's always fascinated me that someone would want to pretend to live someone else's life as a means of doing that. Because at the end of the day, the person pretending to be me had no idea that I spent my time daydreaming of being a different person as well. I guess it just goes to show that no matter how much you wish you were someone else, chances are that person has plenty of their own reasons to want to escape their own demons, for their own reasons. Thanks for reading. I should have realized something was off. This is not my story but instead my sisters who will be using my account to share it with all of you. When I was in high school I was good friends with a girl called Emma. Emma was kind of quiet and shy but always was there if you needed her. When I finished high school I lost touch with Emma as what happens to a lot of friendships after school. Two years later in college I started dating a guy called Ben, and Ben's best friend Gary was Emma's boyfriend. After discovering we all knew each other we started to hang out again. One of the nights we planned to all hang out in Gary's house, have a few drinks and play a few games. Myself and Ben showed up at about 8pm to Gary's house and Gary said Emma should be over soon. That was fine, we opened our beers and started drinking. It was nearly 9pm and Emma still wasn't here, so we decided to ring her. Emma answered and apologized for being late, she said she was just finished getting ready and should be there soon. At 9.30pm there was still no sign of Emma so we called again. This time her younger brother picked up the phone. Her brother was 15 years old at the time and had told us Emma was not feeling that well and was in the bathroom. Gary was worried asked if he can head over and check on her, but her brother was adamant that he was looking after Emma and she was alright and to enjoy our night. We didn't go home, instead we kept drinking and hanging out because all we thought was Emma just had the simple flu. Just after 10pm we decided to call one last time and check on Emma. Again her brother answer and calmly told us that Emma had gone to bed and she will call in the morning. We left it at that believing she was safe at home in bed and didn't want to annoy her brother by non-stop calling. That night Emma's mom returned home at 12am to find Emma dead on the kitchen floor. Emma had been bludgeoned to death by her younger brother a couple of hours earlier. We later found out when Emma was leaving to come to us she and her brother got into a fight about something ridiculous, and he beat with a baseball bat and then stabbed her over 51 times. Since her brother was a minor he was not going to be sent to prison. Instead her brother pleaded insanity and was sent to an institution. A lot of this information was not leaked as the accused was a minor. I do know that his parents stuck by him and he was released after 4 years. 
Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. To the guy who is following the girl. So this happened a few months ago. My best friend, P and I had just gotten out of school. We decide to get ice cream after school and before we know it, it's 6pm. We leave the ice cream shop which happens to be next to the liquor store, small city. We notice this shady guy standing outside the store and we try to brush it off but there's just something not right about him. A woman leaves the liquor store and she's dressed nicely, in a dress and heels. She starts walking and before we know it, the guy starts following her. My friend and I get concerned so we decide to tell him a little bit, to make sure he doesn't have any bad intentions. Things escalate when we realize that he's filming this woman and she has no idea. It's disgusting, he's following her and has his phone out, trying to get a better video of what's under her skirt. P and I look at each other and have a mutual understanding. We know we have to do something. So we take a deep breath and somehow manage to put ourselves between the woman and the man. We hear him curse but we don't dare turn around. We're spread apart, making sure there's no way he can get her on film. Mind you we're both 5-1 year old girls. Our hearts are racing but we don't move away until the woman safely enters a restaurant which is about two blocks away. She's in the restaurant but this guy does not want to give up. He's waiting outside for her. He's lingering and even tries to peer inside through a window. P and I know we have to tell the woman what's going on just in case he tries something. So we step inside this fancy restaurant and spot the woman on a date with her boyfriend. I tap her on the shoulder and I fill her in. She's shocked that he followed her for two blocks and how she had no idea. I let her know that he's waiting outside and give her his description, just in case he follows her anywhere else. She thanks us profusely and even gives us a hug. P and I leave the restaurant feeling relieved because we both know we could not live with ourselves if something were to happen to her. So to the creepy guy following her, let's not meet again. The phone call I'll never forget. This happened yesterday, and before anyone says anything, yes, I know I'm stupid. I had just gotten home from work around 9pm and had barely had time to get my shoes off when I get a phone call from some number I don't recognize. I'm searching for new jobs and thought that it might be one of the places that I was applying to calling me back. I pick it up and it's some guy who says that he's with some kind of third-party detention center, which as he explained it was for low-risk inmates that were sent there whenever the local jails were busy or filled. That should have set off a nice big red flag for me, but for whatever reason it just made sense in my tired brain. I'm getting ready to tell this guy I'm not interested in making a donation or anything like that when he asks if, this is, my full name? I confirm and he says that they're holding my boyfriend at this center, saying my boyfriend's full name, and giving a dead-on description of him. I ask what's going on since my boyfriend is supposed to be at work right now and the guy on the other end provides an explanation. He says that my boyfriend had struck a pregnant woman with his car on his way to work and was four times the legal limit for blood alcohol. He said the woman was in critical condition, and that my boyfriend had broken a few ribs and his nose in the accident. I'm freaking out at this point and ask if I can speak to my boyfriend, which the man obliges. I'm put on hold for a minute or two before my quote-unquote boyfriend picks up the line. This person on the other end was panicking saying how it wasn't his fault and begged me not to tell his parents, again using my name. It didn't particularly sound like my boyfriend, 
but I figured it was because of the broken nose he supposedly had, and his tone really helped to sell it, because it all sounded so legitimate. The man from before comes back on the line before I can ask any questions and explains that they had to sedate my boyfriend since he had began to panic and hyperventilate, which I was starting to relate to more and more by the second. The man on the other end tells me that I should come right away and that the bail is set at $2,000, cash only. I stupidly tell him that I don't have that much and that I maybe have half of that. He tells me that it's fine and that I can work something out with the front office once I get there, and to just bring what I have, and seeming like he's trying to calm me down. He's giving me the address and I can barely hold a pen because my hands are shaking so badly and I'm very poorly trying to hold back tears. All of a sudden the door opens up and in walks my boyfriend, completely normal looking, with no broken nose, but more than a little confused as to why I'm crying. I'm still on the phone with the man and ask him what the fuck he thinks he's doing, telling him how my boyfriend just walked in, and he promptly hangs up. I tried calling back a few times, but it went directly to voicemail find out the power to the bar my boyfriend works at had gone out. So his boss sent everyone home early, and I had never been so grateful for a power outage. My boyfriend slept on the couch to keep watch, but unfortunately I still couldn't sleep that night, so I decided to look up the name of the organization the man said he worked for. Big surprise, that turned up nothing. I then looked up the address he had given me on Google Maps and see that it was some random abandoned strip mall in the middle of a sketchy ass area that was about an hour and a half out of town. What really freaked me out about this whole thing, was the guy knew my number, both me and my boyfriend's names, but didn't sound like anyone we had met before. I have no idea what would have been waiting for me there, but I'm counting my lucky stars right now. So to the guy who wanted to meet me for god knows what at the sketchy ass strip mall, let's not meet. My lunatic ex was convinced my daughter was his, and kidnapped her from school. When I was 19, I casually dated this guy, Casey that I met through a mutual friend. We hit it off the first time we met and hung out for hours. He was incredibly charming and we had a lot in common, but definitely had an off vibe. The day after we hung out, my friend texted me not to get too involved with him because he was kind of a psycho. I ignored his warning, which is something I regret to this day. He wouldn't elaborate, so I shrugged it off as probably nothing that extreme or he'd tell me. Casey and I were by no means serious. He said he planned on seeing other girls and didn't even want to call me his girlfriend. I appreciated his straightforwardness, though my feelings were very hurt by this. I told myself that maybe as we got closer he would change his mind. As I spent more time with him, I began to see what my friend was talking about. He had serious anger issues and would do things like throw plates against the wall if something wasn't fully cooked in the microwave, and casually talk about how on bad days he sometimes fantasized about going on a shooting spree if he could get away with it. I finally broke up with him after he told me in a rage that he wished he could shove a fire poker down the neighbor's dog's throat so it couldn't bark anymore. Altogether, our fling lasted less than five months. He kept trying to convince me to date him again in the following months. I obviously kept telling him no. I eventually started dating my now husband. Casey made one last attempt to get me back by showing up at my apartment to tell me that he was in love with me, and if he couldn't have me then life was not worth living. He said if I didn't let him in and try to work it out, he would shoot himself in the head. Since he had a gun, I was terrified he would actually do it. I had no idea how to handle this situation, so I let him inside with the intention of keeping him as calm as I could and texting one of his friends to come get him and help him. I'm not going to go into a lot of detail about what happened next, but he kept trying to kiss me and when I made it clear we weren't going to be intimate, he beat the shit out of me. Then he left and just left me bleeding and crying on the ground. 
I didn't tell my then boyfriend about it because I didn't want them to have an altercation. I just made up excuses to why I couldn't see him for weeks until all my marks healed. I told my coworkers I was in a bike crash. I could tell no one really believed that. Casey texted me apologizing. He said he just loved me so much that he snapped because he needed me so bad. He tried to frame his violence as some kind of fucked up romantic gesture. I told him to never come near me again and threatened to call the cops. I was scared shitless for over a year that he would come attack me or kill me, but I didn't hear from him again. Fast forward six years later. At this point, my husband and I were married and just got our first kid. She was five and we were fostering her with the intention of adoption. We lived in a new state, several hours away. Casey somehow found out I had a daughter. He messaged me on Facebook, saying he knows I have a daughter and that she must be his. I tried to explain she wasn't my biological child, but he insisted I was lying and she looked exactly like him, she looks nothing like him at all he's white and blonde with blue eyes, she's fucking Hispanic. I told him he was crazy, blocked him, and deleted all photos of her from my Facebook. I still have no clue how he even saw them since my account is completely private, I even double checked my settings to make sure. Another few weeks go by without contact and I feel confident that's the last I'll hear from him. Wrong. He shows up at the house, begging to talk. He looks like shit and clearly developed a serious drug habit over the years far beyond just weed. He was pale AF, had dark rings around his eyes, was all shaky, and looked like he lost at least 20 pounds my husband wasn't there, so I was pretty terrified. He asked can I please just meet her? I once again emphasized she is not my biological child and told him he really needed to stay away from my family or I would call the police. He then went on a whole unhinged tangent about how we belonged together and it wasn't fair for me to keep punishing him for not realizing that sooner. He went on about how after he found out about her God told him while he was on meth that he needed to quit everything and get clean, so that he could be with me and raise his daughter. I just closed the door in his face and yelled at him to leave or I would call the cops. He shouted back that I couldn't keep him away from his child forever. I call the police and they just file a report, but tell me there's nothing they can do unless he threatens or harms one of us. About three months later, my daughter doesn't come home on the bus. I call the school and they say she was picked up by her dad. As you can imagine, the next few hours were complete and total hell on earth. My husband came home from work early and we had to wait at the house with a cop and a detective, in case he took her home, while other cops searched for them. The detective told me that from everything I told him, he didn't think he was at risk of harming her or fleeing with her. Luckily, he was right. They were found at McDonald's and he was arrested, while my daughter was taken to the hospital. Thankfully, she wasn't harmed physically at all and he was apparently really nice to her, although it was incredibly awkward to have to explain to a five-year-old why this strange man was telling her he's her dad. The prosecution was insanely lenient on him due to his mental health issues and drug problem, coupled with the fact he didn't harm her. They ended up dropping all the serious charges like kidnapping a minor and sentenced him to stay in a state hospital until he was deemed healthy enough to be let out, which ended up being only four months. They granted us a restraining order that lasted two years, which I was incredibly disappointed about, as I wanted a lifelong one, but we were assured if he contacted any of us again, we would no doubt be able to get another one. It is four years later and we have not heard from him since. My daughter wasn't traumatized or anything. She just sees it as a strange experience she had. I still have intense anxiety every time the doorbell rings. My husband bought a shotgun immediately after this went down. I've heard through the grapevine that Casey has been mostly clean besides being an alcoholic, it's an upgrade from meth, at least, and seems to be less batshit insane. That's nice, 
but I really hope I never ever see that man again for the rest of my life. Thanks for listening to Reddit Readings episode 28. Don't forget to vote on your preferred narrator and if you enjoyed it, consider subscribing and leaving a rating. Do you enjoy science, spooky stories, and all things paranormal? We do too. While we would love for most paranormal stories to be true, we are here to tell you that they probably aren't. But that doesn't make them any less fun to speculate about. We are the Spooky Science Sisters podcast. In this podcast, we bring you bi-weekly discussions on possible scientific explanations behind the supernatural. Backed up by research articles and other credible sources, we do deep dives into things like archaeology and physics and share in-depth discussions with topic experts. Visit us at SpookySciencesisters.com to listen to a couple of skeptics debunk some of your favorite alien encounters, cryptid sightings, and ghost stories with science, sass, and a significant amount of laughter. Thank you, and stay spooky. True terrors of horror, bizarre happenings, unexplainable events. On our podcast, Disturbed, Terror Takes Center Stage. Each episode is a journey into the darkest corners of human existence, delving into bone-chilling tales of kidnappings, serial killers, maniacs, and the very essence of your worst nightmares coming to life on this weekly true horror show. Disturbed is not for the faint of heart. It's an exploration of real, unadulterated horror sourced from everyday people. Each episode is a descent into the macabre, where we narrate stories that will leave you on the edge of your seat and crawling in your skin. We navigate the disturbing narratives that lurk in the shadows, offering a raw and unfiltered listen into the most terrifying aspects of the human experience. Enter at your own risk and let the unsettling tales unfold in the haunting realm of Disturbed. And remember, listeners, stay safe out there.